Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or actually around the world. This is, as you heard, Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Just always excited to be with you, to be able to have another edition here of All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And those of you who had listened before understand it. Of course, what Bailiff says, all rise when a judge comes in, a little play on words there, because the focus of this segment or this this show is if we employ libertarian values responsibility respect roll up your sleeves dig in uh, actual uh, equal justice under the law we will all rise together and today we have a really interesting guest uh, actually i know dr sam sugar only through we have mutual publishers that uh, i published a book uh, called wearing the robe the art and responsibility of joy of uh, judging in today's courts and uh, it was pu- published by square one publishers who are from upstate new york and the publisher there put me in contact with dr sam sugar who has also written a book through them it's called Called Guardianships and the Elderly, The Perfect Crime by Dr. Sam Sugar. That is certainly a, a concerning title that uh, I was a supervising judge of probate for several years in Orange County, California. Uh, Dr. Sugar is from Florida, but I just didn't see really anything like he is alleging. But we'll, we'll get into what his allegations are, and he's got some, some information to back it up. But uh, this is a man who is an internist, uh, actually has solid credentials, as I understand it. He went to the University of Illinois Medical School, then took his internship at Evanston Hospital and did his residency at McGaw Medical Center which is attached to Northwest University, so Northwestern University. So he's got all the credentials. An internist really is just a general internal medicine physician. He will be involved with primary care, uh, doing doctoring, uh, performing reasonable performance exams for treating uh, numbers of common illnesses in adults. So Dr. Sugar, you know, welcome. Uh, You've raised some truly troubling issues, but uh, you have solid credentials. Welcome to All Rise. Thank you for being with us. It is my pleasure indeed, and I thank you very much for the opportunity of addressing you and your audience. I'm very happy to be here. Well, good, good. Thank you. And and, uh, just pull us a little bit of your background, if you would. Uh, Tell us about Dr. Sam Sugar and how did it happen that you became a medical doctor and uh, ended up in your specialty of uh, just a general intern medicine? Well, you know, during COVID, and I guess COVID is the really important thing that's going on in this country right now, uh, during COVID, I had the opportunity to write my autobiography for the benefit of my grandchildren, 11 grandchildren. And um, the same question came up in the section of my autobiography where it says, why did you become and how did you become a doctor? And I have to admit, honestly, I became a doctor because I had no choice in the matter. None whatsoever. My mother decided when I was five years old that I was going to be a doctor, and that was all there is to it. 
And so I was a good boy and listened to my mommy, and I eventually went to University of Illinois undergrad and medical school, and then you've uh, gone through the rest of my credentials. I'm a board-certified specialist in internal medicine. My role model was a general practitioner, uh, not an internist, but a general practitioner who took care of us and my myself and my family as a kid, and I always modeled myself and, and hoped and aspired to become a physician that was an excellent diagnostician, somebody who had um, the right mindset and the right bedside manner to not just write prescriptions, but to listen to individuals and try to be someone who would understand their situation, interpret their symptoms professionally, and do whatever I could to to help them. And I've spent my career trying to help people. In my faith, which I'm very strong in the Jewish faith, there's a concept called tikkun olam, which is very prominent these days. It means the natural order of the universe. And I'm dedicated to tikkun olam for not just the patients that I've had, hundreds of thousands of them over the years, but the advocates and victims having to do with guardianship abuse in our country. And um, that's eventually what led us to our publisher and why we're talking together. So, so fill in a couple of blanks. So how did your mother, and, and it's good to follow your mother's advice, but how did she decide at the age of when you were five years old? Was there doctors in the family? Uh, were these heroes? Uh, what led to that uh, decision by her? Or uh, let's say recommendation? My, first of all, um, my mother, father, family, and I uh, were Holocaust survivors. Uh, I came over when I was two years old from Sweden, where my parents had been liberated from concentration camps and were rescued by the Swedish Red Cross and other uh, organizations. And we came to America to start a new life when I was two. My mother and father were both very hardworking people, amazing individuals who survived the destruction of both of their families. Um, and came to America, the land of opportunity, where the streets were paved with gold, as we all know, and were very much impressed with the idea that the best social escalator was education, and that that works for me, works for my children and grandchildren as well, and uh, to her mind and to my dad's mind as well, the people who stuck out to her, who did the best for other people, who uh, were... Uh, taking the oath of primum non nocere, which means uh, first do no harm, was the paradigm that they wanted me to follow. And though I make fun of it, though I laugh about it, uh, I bought into that, the educational paradigm myself, and I, I have zero regrets about uh, taking the difficult road to going to college as first person in either family to go to and graduate from college, and certainly the first person to ever become a physician. And um, that worked for me, and it's worked for my children, all of whom have benefited from being uh, wonderful citizens of this marvelous, incredible country, um, all of whom have received wonderful educations. And um, all of this just fits into my, my larger paradigm of life, and that is to be of help to my fellow man wherever possible. And all of that has led me to what we're going to discuss today. 
with regard to not so much medicine. And by the way, one of the things that I'd like to mention as well is part of my career path is that I have been uh, a an examiner for the courts in Martin County, Florida, a little bit north of where I live, um, and have performed and understand very well the examination procedures for guardianship institution, and uh, I have some observations on that procedure as well. That's, that's just excellent. Let me state the obvious, Dr. Sugar. Uh, your mother is deeply proud of you, and so am I. Uh, you are what makes Thank America you. great. We're, we're proud that you came to this country and, and uh, pursuing the American dream. Uh, you have, you've said a couple of things, and, and this is off the subject, but my wife and I... You're talking about the concentration camps, and it, it changed my life when I visited Dachau when I was in college. But my wife and I went to Prague in the Czech Republic a couple of years ago and went to one of those concentration camps, Teresin. And it wasn't an extermination camp, but they did show us, and this just, I, I, I have tears in my eyes now just thinking about it, that these people were so perverted, perverse, that sometimes they would put the inmates up against a wall and would shoot them, but they wouldn't shoot them in the head or the chest. They'd shoot them in the stomach so they'd even suffer more greatly. I mean, just the depravity of that, which uh, our country should have done better, but but at any rate, I, I just have to get that off my mind. And also, you're probably familiar with the Dr. Viktor Frankl, who wrote one of the best books I've ever read, which was Man's Search for Meaning. And he was mm-hmm. in a concentration camp, and he had, of course, no no medicines to provide, probably not even a stethoscope for all I know. But he could he could show that if he could that he had some people that were interned there that simply they didn't die, they instead stopped living. Because if he could actually get them to have a reason to continue to live, they were just so hopeless and so desperate. But if he could just only you can get out and tell your story. Only you can find your children and put if he could give them a reason for living, they would snap out of it and they would continue living. Uh, and it was just something that really really still lives with me today. But so we met because we do have the same book publisher, uh, and as I said, my book was a how-to book for judges, but, but tell us about your book, and, and uh, just give us this background, that you must have had someone uh, close to you, uh, important to you, that was in a guardianship position. Lead us into this, because this is not something that, that most of us have seen, and as I said in my introduction, uh, I didn't see it while I was in probate. But uh, if it's there, it's horrendous, and uh, you're, you're, you're blowing the whistle on something that should have been whistled out many years ago. But tell us that experience, please, if you would. Sure. I'm really interested. Many years ago, um, I'm originally Chicagoan. Uh, after we came to this country, we moved immediately to Chicago, and I have my roots in Chicago. But uh, through a number of reasons, my wife and I decided that we would uh, move to Florida. One of the reasons to move to Florida was to help take care of my wife's mother, my mother-in-law. Um, one thing led to another, and as is so often the case with uh, with guardianships that turn out to be, uh, let's say, abusive, let's just use that generic term right now, it, it was family dysfunction among her family that opened the door to um, a request for a guardianship that wasn't necessary and that led to far, far, far more reaching, desperate problems that that were created instead of solving problems 
the guardianship court created multi-million dollars, and I'll get to that later, worth of litigation that has drawn on even till today. It's over 11 years since this started, and the ward's been dead for close to six years, and there's still litigation going on. It probably will never end until all the money of the estate is gone. Um, and when this happened, um, and we were involved, and I should mention that I'm under court orders. I have a gag order that I cannot talk about that case. Uh, and if I do, I've already been sued once as a result of it. I, I will suffer consequences, which is another one of these issues that if you want the bleeding to stop, you've got to sign an agreement and you've got to sign non-disparagement and non-disclosure agreements, which prevents a lot of people from talking about the trauma that they go through. Nonetheless, when this happened to us, we bemoaned the fact that, oh, this must be our horrible luck. Stuff like this doesn't happen in America. We must be a one-off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one thing led to another, and I began meeting other individuals who had experienced this trauma at the hands of the probate court where we lived at the time in Florida. And one thing, one person led to another, and ultimately, I ran into dozens and dozens of people and networks of individuals and groups of people who had experienced the precise same thing that happened to us. And as a result, I formed an organization, a 501c3 nonprofit called Americans Against Abuse of Probate Guardianship, and... Um, began understanding and learning how the system actually works, not from the perspective of a naive, normal individual who walks into a courtroom and expects to see something like what they've learned on television, where there's a jury and due process and evidence requirements and no secret ex parte meetings. What I learned was that at the county level, in other words, at the circuit court level in Florida and all over the country, there is a business model. Some people would prefer to call it a racket. Both names fit. And that model or that racket involves the combination of court insiders as defined by guardians, lawyers who defend them and the lawyers who defend the other side, as well as the judges who are ultimately responsible for executing justice and fairness to help individuals who might or might not need help, who might be vulnerable, who might need assistance in taking care of their financial matters or their health matters. And what I learned was that the entire industry that became so focused on what's called advanced directives, um, the case in Florida of um, the young lady who was brain dead for a while in the big court fights, uh, I've forgotten her name at the moment, but it'll come to me, spawned an industry of lawyers creating advanced directives, that is healthcare powers of attorney and durable powers of attorney, which are specifically designed to prevent guardianships. That's what they're there for. Well, as it turns out, this guardianship playbook bases itself on the notion that an individual who fulfills all the requirements 
of creating those documents. Well, those documents can be overturned in a heartbeat. There are a number of mechanisms by which a judge can do that. And once that happens and a judge decides that those documents no longer work or should work, it opens the door to something called guardianship. Guardianship is the institution of a substitute decision maker. Now, that sounds very benign, and typically it can be. So at the very outset of such a discussion, it must be noted, many, many guardianships work perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with the process. And there are people who need guardianships, period. However, there is a sizable minority of guardianships, and in particular, the ones we're focused on are professional guardianships, individuals with very little education or training who are in it for the money and who all too often abuse, neglect, and exploit the very people that the judges in these administrative courts appoint to handle the lives of individuals whose rights are stripped away from them. All of their civil rights, including the ability to vote, which is as anti-libertarian as you can possibly get, those rights can be stripped away by a judge who believes, based on evidence, papers really, not testimony, but papers, that an individual is incapacitated. And maybe we can delve into that a little bit later. But once the diagnosis, and it's really not a diagnosis, it's more a judicial status of incapacity, is reached, an individual loses all their rights. They lose their rights to decide their medical care, where they live, whether they can vote. They can't hire a lawyer. They, they can't uh, decide who to associate with. In other words, they become wards of the state that are owned, I want to say that again, that are owned by another third-party human being who controls every aspect of their life in a plenary guardianship. This well, is a me, concept me, that a lot of people can't fathom. Of, of course, and, and sometimes it's fully appropriate that if you have somebody right. that's dementia or, or just right. had a brain injury or something, that, that uh, yes, that would be the case, but it's overseen, must be overseen by a neutral judge who was amenable to any form of argument that it was being abused. But you're, you're pulling no punches. Uh, I read just the, uh, got it off the internet, Dr. Sugar, uh, your guardians and the elderly, the perfect crime, and it, it mentions it, it. This is the introduction to your book, and I'm going to read it. It is uh, four paragraphs. I'm going to read it in its entirety because you do not pull yes, your punches, sir. and it's horrifying if this is anywhere close to true. So the, the, the introduction to your book is, imagine a system of justice in this country that strips its citizens of their constitutional rights, voids their existing legal documents, gives others the right to spend their money and sell their assets, isolates them, and has the ability to limit the time they can spend with their loved ones. 
While you may be thinking of the criminal justice system, the previous description refers to a parallel system that preys on the elderly and is determined to deem them unable to care for themselves. It is a system that allows those in control to take full advantage of their wards of the state legally and under the watchful eyes of judges. It's called a guardianship. I think that's an accurate statement. If it's appropriate. So it continues. Guardianship exists in every state. Yes, it does. And while it has gone under the radar for many decades, Dr. Sham Sugar's new book, Guardianship and the Elderly, sheds light on this system, which enables those to know those in the know to commit, quote, the perfect crime, unquote. Dr. Sugar, a licensed physician and president of Americans Against Abusive Probate Guardianship, or AAAPG, as well as a victim of the system himself, has written a unique guide that can be used by anyone caught up in the world of guardianship. The book begins by looking at a history of guardianship from ancient times until today. It then provides a clear overview of how this system is set up to work, from the triggers that set it off to the different groups of people that make up the process, the judges, the guardians, and all their associates. The book goes on to detail the responsibilities given to these players and describes how easily they can manipulate the system to their own advantage. It also presents an accurate picture of just how difficult it is to free a family member from the system. There are things loved ones can do to fight the system, to be sure, but many obstacles and pitfalls await them in the battle. This book is meant to prepare the reader for these eventualities and includes a comprehensive glossary, a helpful resource section, and a number of documents that may prove useful in the pursuit of real justice. Final paragraph. While the press has exposed some of the most heinous crimes committed by guardians, for the most part, those who know how to work the system continue to plunder their victims' estates. Guardianships and the elderly is designed to explain the guardianship process clearly and make the reader aware of the common violations carried out by the court, insiders, and their affiliates. The information found in this book can serve as a powerful tool when it comes to uncovering their crimes. That is a Real indictment, Doctor. You you describe the system accurately, as you we both agree. There are some people that need a guardianship, but to imprison, to shield them from their loved ones, to steal their assets. This is a matter. I'm a former federal prosecutor. This is a matter for the FBI. I, I hope that you've gotten the FBI involved. If you haven't, I will try to help you get their attention, and also for the U.S. Attorney. These are righteous prosecutions, assuming what you say is accurate. Have you gone to the FBI? Dr. Sugar? So, um, first of all, I couldn't have written that any better. That's exactly <laughs> the way I wrote it. Um, the answer to your question um, is, is as follows. Once the idea of, uh, of cataloging and documenting case after case after case, and uh, there are several groups in the country, when you combine the documented cases that we have put together in databases that have been sent to the FBI, that have been seen by the DOJ, that have been investigated by the IG offices in various states, we're talking about thousands and thousands of cases. And in terms of the FBI, um, Antoinette Bacon is a name you may or may not recognize. She is in charge of the Elder Justice Task Force at the Department of Justice. And uh, I met her 
not too long ago in uh, Sun City Center, Florida, when Bill Barr, the AG, um, revealed his uh, latest plan about scams in the elderly. We have not only complained as a group to Antoinette Bacon, but we have complained individually on dozens, if not hundreds, of specific cases. I have personally sent her a file with over 250 fully documented cases of guardianship abuse from throughout the country, and the action that has been taken is zero. Zero. We have complained to President Trump, who made statements last year and the year before about the Elder Justice uh, Act, but in fact, as we can discuss in the next segment, in fact, the response from administrative organizations and the Justice Department at every level of law enforcement has been, it's somebody else's problem, not ours. Go hire a lawyer. That's the response that you get from everybody from the local police department to the sheriffs, to the constables, to the IGs, to the state's attorneys, to the attorney generals of the state, and to every level of the federal government. Now, for the federal government, there is an excuse, if you will, and that's called a probate exclusion. Uh, An archaic law prevents the federal government from acting as a, as, a, as a court to any lower court, an appeals court, that is. It cannot act as an appeals court to any probate court decision that involves matters of inheritance. It's well-known law, I'm sure you're aware of it, which prevents legal actions against courts in states because guardianship is a state law-based issue. So the federal government is not forthcoming with help, despite incredible numbers of appeals for help, which are easy to document because I've been involved in many of them. All right. That's at the federal level. Um, And we can go into what happens at the state level as well. The ultimate conclusion that people like me and others who have been involved in this for many, many, many years, and this has been going on for over 45 years, with documented complaints to the Senate Select uh, Committee on Aging for all that time. This has been going on for a long time, and to this date, to this date that we speak, on June 18th, 2020, there is no effective mechanism by which an individual can gain redress in an abusive guardianship. Okay. Well, Dr. Sugar, this is most discouraging. Uh, I believe in the rule of law. I believe in responsibility. We're going to take a short break here while I kind of recover. Uh, and then we're going to talk <laughs> about specific instances uh, about this. This needs to be addressed. I will help you. I will do everything I can. I commit publicly to you to help you get exposure for this. I devoutly hope that you're proved to be wrong. I doubt that what, what that's going to happen. But this must be investigated and looked into. We'll take a break here while I kind of recover, and we'll come back with some more additional instances of this abuse that Dr. Sam Sugar is discussing right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. You heard these messages. and We are again with our esteemed guest, Dr. Sam Sugar from Florida, and he is talking about his book, which is Guardianships and the Elderly, The Perfect Crime, again by Dr. Sam Sugar, bringing very disturbing information to me. I heard some of this before, but this is the first time that I've heard any of these specifics. Uh, Dr. Sam, I'm going to get your book, and I'm going to help you pursue this. If anything close to what you're discussing on a program basis is going on anywhere in our country, it simply must be stopped by good people, and I'm convinced that you are one of those. By the way, uh, as listeners to my show understand, my wife has asked me to get involved with a little intentional humor uh, as opposed to unintentional. So this is usually a time that I get in to do that. And my comment today is behind every successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. I think that probably would catch on. And that's the obligatory chuckle, too, from my, from my guests. So thank you, doctor. You've, you've fulfilled that obligation as well. But, but I Thank you so much. Just in, in the break, let's get specific. Uh, you can talk about your family member uh, and, and the experience, but, but give us some specific examples of what you have heard. You have defined the system correctly. It is necessary on occasion for people that are in need, that are not able to make their own decisions. If they can't make their own decisions, they could be set upon by, by others, defrauded, or they shouldn't vote, all the rest of that. But if, there's a, if, if the people that are supposedly assisting them are actually preying upon them, uh, P-R-E-Y, by the way, uh, that's something that simply is intolerable. And you got my attention when you said that you had provided more than 250 examples of abuse to the federal government, to the FBI. But give us some examples so we as your listeners can understand what it is you're talking about, please, Dr. Sam Sugar. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So I live in Florida, and um, Florida, um, after Michigan, Michigan is by far the worst state in terms of probate abuse, but Florida is a very close second. I want to talk about one particular guardian in the state of Florida, in central Florida. Um, Her um, 
her case came to light last year. This is uh, this is public information, so I'm not concerned about giving out this information. Uh, there was a guardian whose first name is Rebecca, let's leave it at that, who at one time had over 400 private wards at any given time. These wards were awarded to her by a group of four to five judges in Central Florida. And last year, it came to light that Rebecca wound up killing one of her wards who irritated her by initiating a DNR against him. He was not near death, but had a swallowing problem and needed a tube in order to get nutrition. For DNR, one reason, of course, no, no, stands for do not resuscitate. Go ahead. That is correct. Thank you. Um, so without, without consulting a judge, with, without any viable medical reason, and despite the warnings of an entire hospital staff, she had the authority to write a do not resuscitate order. She proceeded to pull his feeding tube, and he died shortly thereafter, aspirating on his own stomach contents to death. Now, that came to light um, because of the daughter of the ward who didn't live here, and it came to light because of the individual who was named in his perfectly executed advanced directives, whose guardianship ability was taken away by one of these judges in favor of this professional guardian, Rebecca. I should mention that while Rebecca is an apex predator who's still in the state of Florida, although she's not a guardian anymore, there are lots like her in California, in Florida, in Michigan, Illinois, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado. You get the picture. And those of us who are in this field know all these names. It's not a secret. At any rate, when the Orlando Sentinel published this story, they began an investigation into the other 400 or so guardianships that uh, had been awarded to her over the years. The judges in question quickly called her in uh, to castigate her and throw her off of her guardianships, hundreds of which they had given to her without thought through the years. It's not just one judge, it's five actually, all proximity-related. Um, and in the investigation, millions and millions and millions of, doc of dollars were disappeared by Rebecca. One of the most interesting things about that investigation was that she isolated her patients routinely so that family members could not complain because if they did complain, she would take away their ability to visit. This was a routine practice of hers. She also had the routine practice of keeping trophies. And in her office, when it was raided by uh, law enforcement, by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement last summer, they found 17 urns of ashes of wards. 17 urns containing the ashes of wards what looked like trophies in her office. This is not unique in, in uh, Nevada. Another guardian, professional guardian, who is now serving prison time, had an entire storage, you know, one of those storage units, filled with boxes and boxes of the ashes of wards. Now, I don't think that's something a normal person would do, and that's one of the reasons we say that professional guardianship attracts some very strange individuals. 
But this individual, closely followed, by the way, by the president of the Pinellas County Florida Guardianship Association, are now under indictment, the second one, under indictment for boldly stealing $535,000, writing herself a check for that amount and buying a new house with it, without even bothering with a guardianship, just declaring herself someone's representative, the judge approving it. And it was only because the newspapers got a hold of that story that this was uncovered. And this, all of this points out a number of salient issues. The first is, because guardianship matters are routinely sequestered by the court in the name of mental health, I think. I'm not sure why. It is very difficult to investigate these cases. Number two, it's extremely difficult to investigate the issue altogether because no one can even tell you how many guardianships there are in any given state or the country. The estimate that I've come up with is in Florida... 65,000 guardianships, 7,000 new ones a year. But there's no statistic available other than that guesswork. And even okay, in the country. Well, let me, let me stop ahead. you for a moment because it could yeah. be their logical explanation. You call them trophies and the ashes and the rest. These are, these are valued people. I, I don't know what the explanation would be. But, but the trick is to follow the money. Uh, Richard Nixon administration learned that. But... Do you have circumstances in California, they have to audit. We have to present an audit mm -hmm. to, to the court every six months, every year, uh, and that should be made public to the other beneficiaries, etc. Uh, are there no provisions like that? And if so, let's, find, let's talk and follow the money, Dr. Sugar, how you put the right. money into the pocket of these various people you're talking about. The attorneys, Good. okay, I yes, because cases they get paid. Do you have any cases in which, for some reason, the judge has received some of this money? Okay, so let me get to the judge last, please. Okay. You are absolutely correct that the statutes and the probate rules, which is another 300-page book here in Florida and in other states as well, demands that professional guardianships produce regular reports on especially the assets, holdings, and finances of the wards under control of these guardians. And it's not always professional guardians. There are some family guardians, which is the most common type of guardianship, that fail on that account too. But nationally speaking, apparently, according to the National Guardianship Association, 60 to 80% of the reports of professional guardians are either absent, the annual reports I'm talking about, that the judges are supposed to review, 60 to 80% of them are either defective, seriously late, or absent. I'll repeat that. 60 or more percent of the annual reports of professional guardians who are in charge of the lives and finances of people who are vulnerable are defective, late, or non-existent. That's a big problem because it's so easy to hide misadventure when the reports are either inaccurate or missing or late. And the, the punishment for that is non-existent. The courts have been unbelievably lenient with professional guardians and giving them latitude all over the place and sometimes not even caring. And that's one of the criticisms that I have of the judge. Now, talk about money. In the case of Rebecca, 
We are well aware, and it's been documented and sent to law enforcement on repeated, repeated occasions by victims, including one private investigator who has spent her life investigating this one guardian, that this guardian disappeared hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of 20 years. Law enforcement, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, I can tell you for a fact, has not been able to find a dime of it. Not a dime. Now, you ask the question, how, do the law, how does everybody get paid? How does the money flow? Well, the money flows to the guardians by unchecked, unlimited, and routinely approved fee request, plus whatever disappears from the inventory of the guardian that may or may not be supervised. And for the lawyers, of course, uh, in addition to their outrageous hourly fees, which in Florida can be as much as $750 per billable hour, and that includes, of course, lots of discovery and interrogations and research, it's easy to blow through a multi-million dollar uh, estate in a year. And in... Many, many cases. That's exactly what we've documented. It's not what we're alleging. It's what we're documented. And as far as the judges are concerned, you have to ask the question, since the judges, and I recognize this is a really sensitive topic for you, but it is for us too, it's very difficult to explain how the judges can allow this stuff to happen. You have to ask why. Well, in many cases, the guardianship lawyers are the people who work on the judge's re-election campaign and, and contribute to the judge's re-election campaign. There's nothing illegal about that. It's fine. But it always seems to be those very lawyers who get the juiciest, most lucrative cases. There are those among us, that is the victims of guardianship abuse, who have proposed that there is a mechanism involving mortgage fraud, involving um, banking fraud, in which some judges may have profited. I don't think it's smart to go into all of the details. I can share them with you in a different setting. But it's very difficult to understand why the judges would allow this kind of stuff to go on unless there was some ulterior reason. And I'm still searching for a, for a complex explanation. Others are convinced that there is skullduggery and shenanigans going on that profit the judges. And not all judges, it's just a handful. In Florida, there's only about a dozen. In okay. California, about a dozen. But they're well-known. I'm, I'm interested, Doctor, in specifics, if you have them. Uh, there are always allegations. Sure. Uh, certainly. I'll give you a very specific case right now. Okay. There Please. is a judge in Central Florida whose last name begins with G. I don't think it's appropriate to mention his name. It's not gray. It's not that. gray, is it? Uh, no, it's not. That, that's a relief. It's not. Okay. And you're in California, so this that's, is in Florida. That's correct. This judge, who has uh, been on the bench for a very, very long time, makes a salary of approximately $130,000 a year, which is, you know, that's nice. Since he's been in, on the bench for over two decades, he has accumulated a vast fortune. 
He holds enormous amounts of real estate and owns five mansions scattered throughout central Florida. He has been named repeatedly, repeatedly as the worst judge in that area that always winds up creating these incredibly litigious cases that drain estates, isolate wards, and create enormous windfalls for lawyers and guardians. And he is one of the judges that enabled the guardian, Rebecca, to do her dirty work. Now, is it possible that a judge could get five mansions on a salary of 130? Sure, maybe he got it in the stock market. Maybe he got an inheritance. I don't know. But nobody's willing to investigate that. Nobody that I can find, because it's a legitimate question. And he's not the only one. Okay. It it is, unfortunately, in my view of the today's political system, people are are upset. Yeah, the COVID-19 and the loss of jobs and, and the rest of that. But they're also upset because they believe that our institutions in our country are not working. That they're that they're unfair. That they're not resulting in responsibility at all levels of society. And comments like this is simply another way people will feel that our system is not working. Uh, I wrote a column recently about actually uh, people incarcerated, and it's up to us to make the system work. It's up to all of us as citizens of this great country. We're all in a position at some form or time or another to be able to help make the system work. And one of these was that I, I wrote this article recently, it's coming out soon, uh, on what life is like inside our prisons. And I quote Dostoevsky mm-hmm. as saying, you can tell the measure of a society by walking into its prisons. If people are being held in our custody, it's our responsibility to make sure that they receive a minimal amount, of, an absolute minimal amount of care and nutrition, and security, and the rest. And it's the same thing with regard to what you're talking about, conservatorships. This is, if you're correct, and again, I may, there may be explanations, maybe that judge inherited a lot of money, I don't know, but we cannot have this lingering allegations without them being investigated. And again, I commit to you, if anything... If 10% of what you're talking about is accurate, it must be investigated, and who but the federal government? I commit to you again, help me if they're in California, that would be easier for me. Uh, I have some connections here to the U.S. Attorney's Office, to the FBI. Uh, I want a neutral investigation to take place. That's all we want. But importantly, if there are explanations, let's hear them. So that way we can we can nip this in the bud, or it's beyond being a bud now, but uh Uh, If anyone is lining their pockets wrongly with these monies, I understand how an attorney can do it. I certainly understand when when a judge is running for re-election, the judge would be appreciative of campaign contributions. Uh, The the quid pro quo, as we call it, this for that, the connection is intolerable, but it may not be illegal. But we need to get this factual information to the FBI and also public. Uh, I'm assuming that you have, have you, you said that the, your uh, Orlando Sentinel published some some material, but this is big time stuff. This is something that Atlantic Monthly Magazine or the Nation Magazine or, or well, actually, others would be interested actually, in disclosing. The, 
Yeah, the New Yorker magazine in 2018 uh, by an author named Rachel Aviv did a big-time expose of this racket, in, particularly in Nevada and Las Vegas, and that had an impact. Uh, there have been a number of exposés over the years. The trouble with them all is they don't have legs. I will tell you that 60 Minutes interviewed me for close to four and a half hours in my home several years back. And when they promised to deliver and didn't, I asked why. And they said, because our lawyers don't want to get in, us to get involved in this business for fear of retaliation. That told me everything I needed to know. I will tell you also, to follow up on what you've just said, one of the ways in which we value ourselves as a society is how we treat our youngest and our oldest and the most vulnerable. And we really need to take into severe measure what we're doing to our elderly people. And, and the best example of this is still guardianship, because when someone's vulnerable and you make them completely dependent on the goodwill of the government, which I know is a libertarian issue and should be supported by libertarians, the government usually creates more problems than it solves, in my personal humble opinion. And this is an instance where the government creates far more problems than it ever solves. Um, President Obama, whose opinions I don't normally agree with, said it best. He said, we don't want to have people think that the system is rigged. Unfortunately, there are many people who think it is. And this is just one microcosm of a much larger program that I've written, a uh, process that I've written about, which is government overreach. And I know that rings true with the libertarians as well. Of course. There's a, there's a place for it. Uh, it should be a last resort. You should first look to family members that are capable, caring, uh, responsible. But, but the backdrop is, and even as a libertarian, uh, we do have private organizations. They should be overseen by someone who's responsible to the public. That is a judge. But uh, again, I, I commit to you, this is very concerning to me. If there are logical explanations, I hope there are. I hope that you're wrong. But uh, if one way or the other, they simply must be explored. And uh, I understand that 60 Minutes might be concerned. Uh, there's a lot of money and, and could, could go against them. There are slander laws. There are libel laws. They have to be careful. But make the system work, doctor. And you've been doing that. And, and we, we thank you. Uh, I'm assuming, and I, I hope I know the right answer to this question, I'm assuming that even in your investigations and studies and connections, you have not found any judge that's actually received money directly back as a kickback or, or some form of participation. Is that true? Not exactly. No, that's not true. One of our researchers, Janet Phelan, um, who is in exile in Mexico, actually, uh, because of this, has documented one or two, I don't remember the exact number of judges, whose pattern of financial transactions are fairly transparent that raise significant questions about this. We are also aware of one judge who is now retired, as they are wont to do, who was seen in public wearing the jewelry, the unique 
created jewelry of a ward, wearing it on her lapel pin in public, recognized by the ward's daughter. Um, if, if you take all of these things piece by piece, you go, tisk tisk, this is not good and it shouldn't happen. But if you step back and look at this from the 30,000-foot view, this is an aberration in a system that was designed to help people in need, the most vulnerable among us. And unfortunately, it's turned into a business model. It is an extremely lucrative business model for those who participate in it, including the downstream participants like real estate agents, charitable organizations, um, used car salesmen, auction houses. And I, and I try to, to diagram all of this in the book called Guardianships and the Elderly, The Perfect Crime. It's a primer. For the naive individual who has no idea that any of this could happen to them. And that is why our organization, and the website's www.aaapg.net, that's why we spend all this time and effort trying to bring attention not only to individual cases, but to patterns and to systems that we find to be very puzzling, very difficult to explain except for the primary motivation of power and greed. And this is not the application that the courts should have in mind. It is not what the, the specific intent of the legislature in all these states was. And it requires, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, all anyone is asking for, all anyone is asking for is a thorough and honest investigation. The rest will speak for itself. Well, that's what I'm asking for as well, Doctor. And uh, again, I, I publicly say I hope you're completely wrong, but uh, I don't have much courage that that's true. But we as judges have two really important mandates, two really important responsibilities. And one is to do justice under the facts and the law and the ethics of our profession, critically important, every case. But the second is equally important, and that's what we're talking about here. It's for anyone who cares to believe that justice is being done. So even if justice is being done with regard to these guardianships, which is certainly under a cloud at the moment, but obviously people do not believe that is happening, we must get that out there. Otherwise, it's a cancer upon our society. Certainly individually as well as collectively. So, so thank you for sharing these thoughts with you, with us. Excuse me. Uh, I volunteer. I, I commit to you to try to assist you get that investigation that is being called out here to to be undertaken by the federal system. Uh, if there's something in California, I commit to you as well. But, but that's what we try to do here on All Rise. We don't have all the answers, uh, but we do without gloves on, go into various issues, discuss them fully and hopefully responsibly. If there are people out there, once again, uh, the website, you can contact Dr. Sam Sugar, www.aaapg.net, which stands for Americans Against Abusive Probate Guardianship. Doctor, I'll talk to you off the air uh, and continue with this. But in the meantime, thank you for being with us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening as well. Do you have contact to to get in with Dr. Sugar, please follow that up. In the meantime, we sign off this by saying, as I do, life is good. Why do I say that? Because it truly is. Talk to you next week. Thanks again. 
Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Oh